scriptures and turn back to that Mark chapter 5 passage, if you would please. As I've been watching the news, and perhaps you have as well, of the Russian-Ukraine war, I was thinking back to when I first started watching it, when it started, and the outrage of so many people, uh, how this war could take place. And one of the reporters said, how is it possible that we could have a war like this taking place in our modern, sophisticated world? How can this happen today? And I thought about that over the weeks, and I thought the thinking behind this question is that our world, to some, has progressed, or should have progressed beyond the point of war, especially this level of evil. But what the war in Ukraine has really taught us as, a human, as human beings is that we've not advanced like that, We've not moved beyond war because the problem is not just and only us. There's been a book out, and I have a copy of it. I've read in it. Andrew Delbanco in 1996 wrote a book called The Death of Satan. He is a liberal, liberal secular humanist. But he argues surprisingly in the book that we cannot get rid of the idea of transcendent good and evil. We cannot erase from our society transcendent God and evil and Satan. He says, if you say that evil is only the result of human frailties, mistakes, or human problems, then we have an even bigger problem, he said. Now, his background, as you read the book, you'll find that he has Jewish relatives who died in the Nazi Holocaust. And he says, and I quote, you can't fully explain the Holocaust without the idea of transcendent evil, without the devil. You know what he's saying? He's saying that if the Holocaust was simply because a few Nazis lacked love or were not parented well, or that Hitler suffered from low self-esteem, or that he was from a northern European culture that was racist, then we trivialize the Holocaust and evil itself. Later in the book, he says this, and I quote, a gulf has opened up in our culture between the visibility of evil and our intellectual resources for coping with it. In other words, we look at evil and we say, how can it be? And we don't have the abilities and the resources to cope with it. We don't have the solutions. We don't have the answer. See, evil on any and all levels is not just a psychological or sociological problem it's not, as many would want us to say in our day, it is not a product of evolutionary biology or natural selection. It is a sin problem. And it is a Satan problem. It is a problem that we cannot solve. And let me say it again. We don't have the resources for coping with it. But I'm glad to tell you this morning that Jesus does. See, in our series on the miracles of Mark, Last week, we saw that Jesus had greater power than the storm on the sea, the storm outside the disciples. But this week is a little different, and that's why I believe the story is as 
so many times in the Gospels and other places are side by side because here's what Mark wants you and I to understand. When we talk about the miraculous power of Jesus, not only does he have the power that is greater than all the storms outside of you, but he has power that's greater than any storm inside of you. Both stories, Mark 4 and 5, are stories that compare the power of the storms. Whether the storm is outside or inside, it's a comparison with the power of the storm and the power of Jesus. And here's what Mark wants you to leave with today. He wants to say to all of us, Jesus is Lord over every storm that you will ever face. And it doesn't matter whether it's outside or inside of you. So let's take a look. And it is really a titanic power struggle going on inside this man, this demonized man of the Gadarenes. So we're going to look at two things in comparison and contrast because I think that's what Mark's doing. The first is this. Let me show you the power of Satan. And can I tell you this? It is very, very strong. It says in verse 1 that they came to the other side. And I said last week, just briefly, that they've come to the southeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, most Jews would never go that, that place because it's the Gentile location. It's the Decapolis. It's ten cities all overrun with Gentiles. And this is what everyone thought the evil was. See, you cross the sea that was filled with chaos and evil, and if you got to the other side, you'd see expressions of evil with the Gentile world that you wouldn't see any other place. And certainly in this story, uh, they are exactly right. The Bible says that Jesus gets out of the boat and immediately, and that's Mark's favorite word, he uses it boatload of times all through the gospel. It's an action word. In other words, this story is going to be incredibly dramatic. And the first thing we see is a man comes up to him, it says in verse 2, with an unclean spirit. Mark uses that term seven times in his gospel. It means the man is not demon-possessed, although we can say that. But this word is simply demonized. He has an unclean spirit. He has a demon in him. Jesus has cast out demons and before and he'll cast out demons after this in Mark's gospel. There are stories of him casting out one demon. In fact, interesting, Paul cast out one demon just to tell you how powerful demons are. There were seven sons of Sceva in Acts 19 and there are, these guys tried to exorcise the demon, the one demon out of this man and the demon says to them, Jesus I know and Paul I know but who are you? And the Bible says that he tore them, the, he, he, took, he, he beat the tar out of them. Let me say it that way. They left there, it said, naked and bruised, and they were running for their life. That was one demon, demon over seven men. Mary Magdalene, it says in Acts chapter, I mean, Luke chapter 8 and verse 2, had seven demons. And those were cast out. So Jesus can cast out one demon, he can cast out seven demons. But this man, the text says, many demons were in him. In fact, his name is, later on the text, legion. A legion was obviously the Roman legion is what it refers to, and it could be a lot. Roman legion, I researched it, anywhere between 2,500 and 8,000. But in this case, I think that at the time at least, legions were known to be about 6,000 soldiers. Can you imagine? Not one demon, not seven demons, 6,000 thousand demons. No one 
No one has ever tried to face that kind of demonic power before. Let me show you the demonic power in this man's life. It says in verse 3, he lived among the tombs. You have to understand, when you had a sickness, you had a disease, if you had a demon, it wasn't just that it hurt you personally, like physically, although that's true. Living in the tombs, living in the cemetery, as it were, amongst the graves, he was all by himself. He was ostracized from society. The Bible at the very end of the story says, I want you to go home. Now see, this man had a home at one time, but now he has nobody. He doesn't have a wife around, children. He doesn't even have friends or relatives. We don't know what home life meant for him, but we know that he had relationships. He has none of them because this power has taken all of them from him. He is incredibly, unbelievably strong. And literally, it says in verse 3, No one could bind him no longer. And Mark puts two negatives side by side because he wants you to see the unequaled power of this man. He is stronger than anyone else. If we were saying today, if he stood before us, we might think this guy's the Incredible Hulk. He really is. I mean, he's so strong that it's, he, he, he runs around without any clothes. He, he can't be contained. The Bible says no one, no one, and, and they've tried to, by the way. It says no one and no longer. There are many times it said they tried to bind him. The Bible says he was out of control. Watch. Just like the storm in chapter 4. The power of the storm, it was out of control. Nobody could harness that. No one could stop it. And here's the same way. Here's this wild man, this incredible Hulk. And the Bible says he had, they tried to really restrain him by shackles and chains. You know, shackles, chains, your hands and your feet. They tried to subdue him, his hands and his feet. And the Bible says for him, he kept growing in power, more and more power. He took chains and they were linked chains, and he would, they, he would wrench them. He could take chains in his hands, and he could snap them. The Bible says he, he could take shackles, and he could break them in pieces. Do you understand the level of power that that is? A little bracket in verse 3 and 4, and he doesn't just say no one once. He says it again in verse 4. No one. No one, it says in verse 4, had the strength to subdue him. And the Greek word subdue is used of animals that needed to be tamed. This guy was a monster. He was an animal. He was completely out of control. No one could tame him. No one could subdue him. It's like Jafar. Remember in Aladdin? I have cosmic power. Remember that? That's this guy. He's completely out of control. Did you also notice in the text what his life is like with that power. He lives amongst the tombs, and here's what the power has got him. Night and day, it says. See it in verse 5? Night and day. And then it goes, always. This is what his life is like 24-7. He has greater power than anyone. Hear me. And with that greater power, he has greater enslavement. See, he lives amongst the tombs. It's a living death. The power that he thought he always wanted, the power he thought that he could get from his sin is a living death. It says he's always doing this. He's screaming, and the word mega is used, just like the mega waves in the storm. In this chapter, it's the mega. He's got a mega voice. He is screaming, 
in ways that would make you petrified. Screaming always, it says. And he's taking sharp stones, constantly cutting himself. See, I think at the beginning and the things that brought him to be demon-possessed, he thought in them he could find happiness. You know what he's found? He didn't find happiness, he just found hurt. He can't, the joy is gone, the happiness is gone. Whatever he pursued now is taking control of him. And the power of the devil is destroying him. John 10.10 says, The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Can I tell you a principle? The more power Satan gives you, the more he takes it away. See, the man, listen to this, he was more powerful than anyone, and at the same time, he was more enslaved and weak than anyone. Please don't dismiss this story because you do not have to be demon-possessed by one or 6,000 demons to get this story, to get the point of it. So let me say it to you this way. The devil, does, the devil says, see, I'll give you what you want, and then I will use the very thing that I give you to enslave your life. Please don't be blind or deceived or even naive. It's exactly how evil works. Hollywood, just look at it. I will give you what you want. I'll give you the ability to be rich and famous. And then I'll take it and I'll enslave you so that you're enslaved to your money and your fame and it will destroy you or eventually, as we've seen so many times, you will destroy yourself. Teenage girls, the devil says, I'll make you popular with the boys and you'll have more boyfriends than you ever thought possible. And then I'll take that and I'll enslave you with it so that they all get rid of you because they only think of one thing, right? And now you'll do anything so that you don't feel alone anymore. Young men, I'll make you a success at sports, he might say, and then you'll wrap your identity around it. You'll think it's the hope that your life is built on, and then I'll take it all away with just the simplest injury to your knee, and you won't even know who you are anymore. College students see Satan will say, I'll give you that school that you always wanted to go to, that degree that you always wanted to have, and then you'll be obsessed with it because you'll have a career and you'll want to get higher and you'll want to be mean no more. And see, and you want to have more money, you'll have all this in your career, and you'll get married, and you'll see, he says, and then you'll ruin all the relationships that you thought were most important in your life. And the things that really matter in your life, you'll let them go. Why? Because this has taken control of your life. See, don't be foolish and think that the devil does, he's not going to come up to you and I and say, hey, let me have a talk with you. I'm going to give you what you want, and then later on, I'm going to destroy you with it, okay? Are you all right with that? That's not how it works. But here's what he does. He's going to show up and offer you power through various means, and he's going to show you how great the power is in your life up front. But he doesn't show you the end of the book. See, the first chapter is, see, I'm going to give you all this power. Sound familiar? Jesus, see all the kingdoms? You bow down and worship me now. See, I'll give it to you. You can have all of it. 
You can bypass the cross. You don't have to go. See, here's what Satan does. See, I'm going to show you up front. See how great the power will be. But what he doesn't let you do is read the end of the story. He doesn't let you see the last chapter when all the power becomes pain. And that's all that's left. I thought about this week, and it's worth thinking about. Do you know the demoniac of Gadara, this man? He was not always like this. He wasn't. He started out just like you and me. See, it's, when you read the story, it's easy to think that he's in a different, completely different category than you are. Can I tell you this? He's not. He's not in a different category. He's just at the other end of the spectrum of that category than you and I. See, he's at the end of the road that you may have just started going down. And Satan wants to show you, see up front, you do what I want. You live how, listen to the world, listen to all those things. Listen, see, I can give you that power, and up front, it feels good. You're in control up front. But in the end of the road, it's disaster. The Lord of the Rings, by now you know I, I really love those book series. And one of the Tolkien books is called The Hobbit, and in it's a creature, and I say that because that's what he became, and his name was Gollum, but he, always, but he wasn't always Gollum. He was Smeagol at one point, kind of like a prototype hobbit, and he had a life, and he had a family, until the one day in the river, he found the ring of power. He found the ring and the ring found him. And see, he, he wanted the ring. And the ring became most important to him. And he kills his relative over it. But it started out, see, I can have this power. See, I can have this in my life. And see, until the ring of power had him. And by the end, you look at Smeagol the Hobbit. At the end of the story, there is no, they don't even look like they could be the same thing or the same person. It, the, the transformation, unbelievable how the power of the ring had transformed him, or may I say rather deformed him, into a creature that was hideous. See, whoever or whatever you want the most in your life has power over you, and it will transform you. See, you seek power most, then power will have control over you. You seek money most, and money will have control over you. You seek pleasure the most, whether it's sexuality or alcohol or drugs or money or materialism or things. See, you seek that the most, it has power over you. You seek acceptance. I just want people to love me. I want them to think this of me. I want them to like me. See, if you have acceptance the most is important in your life, then it controls you. Everyone seeks something or someone as their ultimate value. And whatever it is, whatever it is, controls you. If you're not seeking Christ, he is not your ultimate value, then you will find it other places, and the devil will make sure of it. If Christ is not most important in your life, can I say it kindly to you? Satan has power on you already. See, whatever you end up seeking apart from Jesus, you will end up selling your soul for it. I have seen it too many times. Little by little, 
He gives you things, and then he takes them back little by little, and he takes your freedom with it and enslaves you to them. Metaphorically, you begin cutting yourself. You begin to be frantic. Inside is a storm of fear and anxiety, which turns into depression, and you don't know and don't think that you could go on for another day in many examples. The happiness is replaced by hurting, and it seems like that's all there is. That's the power of Satan. On the other side, in the contrast of the story, thankfully, is the power of Jesus. Transcendent good trumps transcendent evil. Now, when this man sees Jesus, this man filled with 6,000 demons sees Jesus get off the boat, the Bible says this in verse 6, he runs to him. He doesn't walk. No, he runs to him. You know why? Because with the demons inside, he can see what everybody else misses, including the disciples. He, can, he knows who Jesus really is. See, the storm story in chapter 4, they see Jesus calm the waters and the waves, and they say, who is this? Verse 41, 440. Who is this that even the wind and sea obey him? See, they look at what Jesus can do in his power, and they don't really see altogether who he is. They're getting a glimpse, but they don't see it fully. Not the demons. You know what they say? They run up to me and say, what have you had to do with us? Jesus, son of the most high God. They get it. See, the demons know that Jesus has absolute authority, that he's king of the nations, that Jesus is more powerful than 6,000 demons put together. See, the disciples don't know it. The people don't know it. The demons do. In fact, crazy, isn't it? In verse 7, the demons try to exercise Jesus out of their existence. They say, I adjure you by God. Now, isn't that kind of comical? You have the son of the most high God standing in front of you and you try to use God to get rid of God. That doesn't make a lot of sense. But you know what? It never, listen, it never makes sense when you try to control Jesus. You can't. He's all powerful. Jesus, it says, was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now notice, 6,000 demons, and Jesus uses singular. Later on in the text, it says, and the spirits, plural, went into the pigs. Here it says spirit, singular. You know why? Because this is how powerful Jesus is. To cast out one demon or seven out of Mary Magdalene or 6,000 out of this man. Imagine, 6,000 strong. It is no different for Jesus. When it comes to exorcisms and power over demons, Jesus doesn't have categories of, well, you know, this one's hard, No, that was easy. No, you know why? Because he has all power, absolute power. Jesus doesn't call on God, give me power. No, you know why? Because he is God. He doesn't have to offer some incantation, mumbo jumbo, you know, I call on the, no. You know why? He is power. He is power. Jesus has power over everything. And notice, it was a real big struggle, wasn't it for him? No. It was no struggle. There was no contest. It wasn't like, oh, Jesus had to really grit and say, oh, I got 10 of them out. Let me try it for the next 5,900. That's not how it worked. He said, come out, and they did. You know why? 
because he's God. There's no struggle. There's no higher power. He is the higher power. And Jesus' power can not only control the demons, but he controlled the man. See, I love this verse. I'm not going to relate to you the pig story part today, although it's a good story. Verse 15 says this, And the people who heard the story that came around from the town and the country areas, they all come and they look at this guy and they go, that cannot be the same guy. It's like Gollum has turned back into Smeagol, so to speak. And they say this, they said, they, they came to Jesus and saw the demonized man, the one, I love this, who had past tense the legion. Isn't that awesome? Here's a guy that nobody can control, nobody can subdue him, nobody had the power except Jesus. Jesus had the power, and the guy has been changed. I have seen lives, and I'm grateful to tell you this, that they used to be addicted. (laughs) They used to be alcoholics. They used to be drug addicts, right? They used to be enslaved to pornography. They used to have, see, they used to be. And here's the guy who had the legion. He doesn't have it anymore, and it's beyond that. It's not that just the demons are gone. Jesus has taken their place. Because the Bible says in verse 15, he's sitting there. Luke adds this little phrase in Luke chapter 8, 35, that he's sitting there at the feet of Jesus. You know what that is? When you sit at the feet of a a rabbi or a teacher, you have proclaimed to be his disciple. This guy has become, gone from disciple of the devil to disciple of Jesus. See, he has a new master Someone else is controlling him now. And the Bible says, remember in the tombs, he ran around naked without clothes, and now it says he's clothed. But not only clothed on the outside, but he's been clothed on the inside because he's sitting there in his right mind. See, this is a spiritual extreme makeover. This guy has been revolutionized from the inside out, radically changed. And it's interesting to me. I don't know if you saw it in the text when we read it earlier. But Jesus coming there initiates two responses. And I think Mark wants you and I today as we leave to say, which response marks me? When Jesus comes and demonstrates his power, here's what happens. And the two responses are marked by the same word in all of them. Verse 10 and 12 and 17 are the word beg or begged. Verse 18, beg. It's used four times in this text. If you want to go to the next story of Jairus, it's also used of him in verse 23. And here's what it is. People come, and Jesus comes, and these people see him, and they see the demoniacized guy, and they see what he's done, and they've seen Jesus' power, and it elicits two responses. The first one is by the demons and by the town people. I want Jesus, see, I beg you, get away from me. See, the demons say, Jesus, hey, just don't torture us. At least let us get away from you. Send us into the pigs, 10 and 12. They begged them. And the word means to come beside, and it literally means to beg them. They begged Jesus, please don't torment us, but let us get away from you. And we'll take the pigs if we have to. And they did. The townspeople come and they see that the pigs have gone off and into the sea and they've lost their economics and it's been a financial hurt and Jesus has drained them. He's interrupted their life. 
They don't see who he is and what he could do for them. All they see is the changes he's made and they don't like him. And they beg him, verse 17, can you, get, can you leave our region? Could you please? And see, when you don't see Jesus for who he really is, if you think he's just another power, if you think he's just someone else in your life, see, you'll miss it. And your choices of rejecting him will push him away for you and with it, the power for you to be transformed. But not this man, though. See, Jesus' power transforms him. And the Bible says in verse 19 of this text that he begged Jesus, I'm sorry, verse 18, and the one who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Mark 3, 14, Jesus chose disciples to be with him. It's a discipleship. See, he wants, he knows Jesus, and now he wants to be with Jesus. He wants to follow him. He wants to be more like him. See the difference? Here's the response. Jesus, I don't want you in my life, demons and town people. I don't want you in my life. See, I want you away from me. And this guy says, you have transformed me. I want you in my life. I want to be close to you. See, the question is, which one are you? Which one are you? To see Jesus for who he really is and to come to Jesus and have his power transform you. Can I tell you what you have to see? You have to realize, you have to realize you can't fix yourself. You can't. The demonized man would never have changed without Jesus. Never He never would have found the happiness and the joy and satisfaction that originally he was looking for. See, he was out of control. And so are you. See, you may, ah, Pastor Walker, maybe not out of control to this extent, maybe not as much as someone else, but see, sin always, always makes us out of control. And if you're honest this morning, there are many of us here, we have habits, you have habits, habits that you can't change. And you've tried. You've tried. You can't fix it. You keep repeating the same problem and the same sin and the same mistake in your marriage over and over. And you tell your spouse it's going to be different this time. And it never really is. See, you have desires. You're driven by them. Desires that you can't handle. You think you can until you do them again and again and again. In fact, if you're honest, these desires actually scare you because you don't think, you don't know if you're able to control them and you might lose everything because of it. See, you can't really come to Jesus and know, not until you know who he really is and what he can do for your life. See, until you recognize you have your own personal set of shackles and chains. Now, to everybody here today and people who know you, they may be invisible, but they're real just as real as this man's were. See, you can't break them, though. See, you can't break them, you can't wrench them, you can't put them in pieces. You know, you can't. You don't have the power. See, the power is gone, if you might have ever had it even. And see, all the promises he gave you are gone. And you're trapped in the devil's promises of a false freedom that have now enslaved you. And the power has been replaced, categorically replaced with weakness. 
So this morning, if you say, I can deal with my own problems, Pastor Walker. I can suck it up. I can pull it together. See, I got this. I'll change this time. You're pushing Jesus away. You're telling him to leave you alone, get out of my life, out of this region. See, the truth is, you need intervention. You need his intervention because he's the only one who has the power to save you. He's the only person who has the power to change you. He's the only one that has the power to transform you. You know why? Because his power is different. Did you see how the story ends? He tells the man, hey, you can't come with me and be my disciple. I have 12 disciples and and I've got a plan and you're not in that part of it, but I've got a plan for you. You know what it is? I want you to go back home and tell your friends, listen, tell them what the Lord has done for you. Listen, and how he has had mercy on you. Can I tell you this? The devil's power has no mercy. None. Until your life and everyone else's perhaps around you is ruined. He comes to destroy. See, the power of Jesus also transforms. But it's a power and the only power that has mercy. He has mercy. He can forgive your sins. He can turn you around if you're willing to repent, if you're willing to acknowledge him as your savior and the Lord of your life. See, if you say, Jesus, I'm out of control and I want you to take control. See, if you're willing to do that, see, you can come to his cross and you can find the forgiveness. See, he took that there. He took all of your out of control. He took all of your sin. He took the evil. He took, the, he took it all. He paid for it when he died on the cross for you. And if you put your faith and trust on him, his power and his mercy can change you forever. What will your response be? Let's pray. Father, Thank you for the story of this man. Thank you for the greatest power of all in Jesus, the son of the most high God. I pray for those here today that first of all, that you give humility that we might understand how enslaved at times we really are. We think we're in control and truthfully we're out of control May they see today the shackles and chains that bind them. And at the same time, may they see the power and mercy of Jesus to set them free. Free through forgiveness, free through grace and mercy and love, free through his cross, death, and resurrection for their sin. Father, only you can do such miraculous things. And I pray for your great name and for your great glory that you do just that. And we'll praise you in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.